0: What the devil? I want you to picture two neighboring farms that both raise chickens. And let's just say that one particularly cantankerous chicken starts squawking. What the heck's wrong with that creature? I have two very simple questions. For say. sake. What's the responsibility of the owner of said chicken? Don't he ever sleep? And what am I supposed to do if it's not my chicken? You gotta be kidding me. Feed it? Shush it? Scream at it? Shoot it? These are difficult questions, especially since it's not my chicken. Lucifer's menu! Morning. I'm going to put a statement up here on the screen, hopefully it's self-evident. I could prove it uh, biblically if you would like me to, but uh, I think it's just going to be self-evident to everybody in the room, no matter what spiritual background you come from. And, And here it is, that life shapes your heart, that who you are inside has been shaped by the things that you've experienced in your life. And the only way that this is not true for you is that if you're under about 18 months old, after that, you, your heart, the core of who you are has been shaped by the circumstances and situations of your life. That thing that your dad said to you when you were nine years old. The way that you were treated in middle school. That person who dumped you when you were 16. Never happened to me, but it might have happened to you. When you were rejected from university or didn't get into law school. When your business failed. When your first marriage failed. When you lost a child to a miscarriage. When someone gave you praise and accolades in front of someone who means a great deal to you. When your spouse said, I'd like to give it a second try. Whatever those moments are, positive or negative, they shape us, they mold us, they change us. You are not your behavior, you are also not your thoughts. The very core of who you are is a collection of circumstances and situations, and your response to them, and it shapes. Your heart. This is why we talk about people who are soft-hearted or cold-hearted or hard-hearted or broken-hearted because when we talk about our heart, we're talking about the very core of who we are and our life circumstances, positive or negative, traumatic or good or bad or whatever, essentially shape who we are. Can you nod your head and we'll keep going? You with me on this one? Okay, I don't think I need to prove this biblically. We just know this intuitively. But I want you to watch Jesus do something here. It's really fascinating what he does. He, he says, uh, not just that life shapes your heart, but for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false, false witness, slander. So as Christians. I think especially as we mature really early on in Christian faith, what we start to do is go, I think I probably should avoid these things. I should probably stop killing people, right? And then Jesus comes along and goes, oh, it's not just about killing somebody, it's about hating your brother in your heart. And we go, okay, so I should avoid that. I should avoid adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, those types of things. In other words, what we begin to do is modify our behavior, and I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but if it becomes the thing, then it is a bad thing. But I'm just saying, just neutrally speaking, we begin to modify our behavior because we want to stay away from these behaviors. But then eventually, as we grow as Christians, we think, well, Romans 12 says, therefore, uh, do not be transformed or do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, say that word with me, what is it? Mind, right? So okay, I want to think differently, not just act differently, but think differently. But watch what Jesus says. He says, out of the where? Heart come evil thoughts. So if you want to change your behavior, if you want to change your thoughts, it all starts here. So it's not just that your life has shaped your heart but your heart has shaped your life. Andy Stanley, in a book called Enemies of the Heart, writes this. He says, the unresolved issues stirring around in your heart will eventually work their way to the surface. If you don't deal with that stuff that's going on inside of you, what will happen is not just that life, circumstances, situations will begin to shape you on the inside, but what happens on the inside of you, your heart will shape your life. Let me prove this to you, and and we'll continue to talk about it, but when you blow up at your spouse and you say something like, man, where did that come from? And I promise not to do it again, but you don't address the issue in your heart, what's happening in your heart will come out again, and you'll blow up at your spouse again. Men of God, when you expect your seven-year-old to skate like Gretzky and you scream and yell and force and expect and come down on or whatever, there's something happening in your heart. And what's happening in your heart is going to shape your relationship with that kid. Your heart is going to shape your life. Men and women of God, when you get into dating relationships and what you begin to do is expect that that other person, and this is not just dating, this is marriage relationships and friendships or whatever, but you expect that other person to fulfill you. And we say stuff like, you complete me, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, like, like you, you know, you expect that other person to fulfill you. That's called codependency. And, and it's, and it's a need within your heart that you have not addressed And your heart, what's happening in here, is going to determine, consequently, shape your relationships. So to put it in the language of our series, what we asked ourselves last week is, what do I do when my neighbor's chicken starts to squawk? (laughs) A co-worker, my spouse that thing inside of them that gets poked, that gets angry, that gets jealous, that gets greedy, and it causes their behavior to change, the way they treat me to change. How do I respond to that? I say, well, look, that's not my chicken. But I can come up right to the edge of that property and say, would you like help with your chicken? Because I'm here to support you, come alongside you. What can I do to help? And I loved last week's message. You know why? So we talked all about other people. And I love talking about other people. I'd rather not talk about me. Don't you feel that way? It's really easy to identify somebody else's chicken. It's really easy to identify when their behavior goes askew, when their thoughts go askew, what's happening in their life. Well, they're not mad at me. They're mad at their dad. You know, it's really easy to identify the core of who they are and name it. But here's the question we're asking ourselves today. If our heart is going to shape our life, which is true because Jesus just said it, and we know it intuitively, and our experience confirms what Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, then we have to ask this question, what do I do with my chickens? Because I got chickens on my farm that are squawking. I've got situations in my life I've got things that rear their ugly head at times. My insecurity, my desire to perform and be excellent in all I do. I'm just making these up, by the way. Some of you that know me are going, no, you're not. Those are your chickens. (laughs) And they are. And you've got chickens, too. You've got chickens too, so we got to ask ourselves, what do I do with my chickens? And if, you take, if you're taking notes right now or if you want to take just one thing home, one thing and one thing only, write this down, memorize it, whatever. Here's what I want to tell you today is that mature men and women are meticulous managers of chickens. Mature men and women are not people who have good aim so they can shoot chickens, although I thought that that was the best way to deal with my neighbor's chicken from last week, if you remember that, right? They're not people who can shush chickens or ignore chickens, whether it's their neighbor's chicken, but mature men and women, as we grow in Christ, Christians, and as you just grow as a human being, you become a meticulous manager of chickens, someone who is able to identify and name what it is that's happening in your life, not just your behaviors and change what goes on out here, or not just your mind and change how you think, but address what happens at the core of you. What drives you? What motivates you? What has truly shaped you? And men and women, when we become mature people, we become meticulous managers of chickens. So when those chickens in our life begin to squawk, we're able to identify them, Bring them to God and allow him to deal with them. Now, outside of church, uh, you're going to hear this talked about in, with different types of language. Here in church, we talk about you know heart issues and those kinds of things, or we talk about chicken management. That's probably not a church term, but that's what we're talking about this morning. That outside of church, what you would hear is this word emotional intelligence. Has anybody ever heard this word before, emotional intelligence? We know what we're talking about here. Okay, good. I'm gonna give you a real quick definition of emotional intelligence. Don't write this down, because it's a very long definition, but here's what we're talking about when people are meticulous managers of their own chickens, here's what you get. You get emotional intelligence, which is the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions. The capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions, and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. So now, if you're jotting down notes, I'm going to kind of summarize this definition for you. What we're talking about today is heart health, and we're talking about self-awareness and others' awareness the ability to identify control and the capacity to identify control and manage one's own emotions and handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. In other words, I have a high level of self-awareness and a high level of others' awareness. I am managing my own chickens. I've got heart health. That's what we're talking about this morning. And that... uh, Emotional intelligence, heart health, chicken management, whatever you want to call that, has implications in every area of your life. If you are not managing your chickens well, your marriage is going to be very difficult. Your friendships are going to be very, very difficult. Your spiritual life is going to be very difficult. You're going to find yourself at arm's length from God and at arm's length from others. You know what's, you know what's crazy? Check this out. Even professionally, you're like, well, I mean, I don't really care about those relationships. I just care about work. Watch this. Forbes magazine, you've heard of the Forbes magazine, just released this study that uh, they had Talent Smart do for them. So it says, they wrote this, Talent Smart tested emotional intelligence alongside 33 other important workplace skills and found that emotional intelligence is the strongest predictor of performance in the workplace. Can you believe that? It's not education, it's not experience, it's not relationships that predict how you perform in the workplace. Your emotional intelligence will tell you how well or not well you're gonna do in the workplace. Your heart health, your chicken management will be the strongest predictor of how you perform in the workplace. Uh, Jordan Peterson, a professor at the University of Toronto, just said this on a podcast a couple days ago I was listening to. He said, there are two primary factors that determine your success in the world, intelligence and conscientiousness. And what is conscientiousness if not self-awareness and others' awareness? Being aware of what's going on inside of me and how it impacts others as it comes out in my behavior. And it's not just professional life and relational life. It's also spiritual life. If you're interested, there's a guy named Pete Scazzaro that wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I highly recommend Pete Scazzaro's book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Brilliant book if you want to do some more research after this series. But the subtitle of Scazzaro's book is this. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Watch this. This is what this means. As you grow in spiritual maturity, you will necessarily become a better chicken manager. That's what that means. And if you're not managing your own chickens, if you're not emotionally mature, emotionally intelligent, if you're not developing heart health, then you're not nearly as spiritually mature as you think. You can maybe come to church and quote some Bible stuff, but if you're not growing here, you're not growing here. And if you're growing here, it will necessarily follow that you're becoming a better chicken manager. So here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about heart health, self-awareness, and others' awareness. In short, we're asking, what do I do with my chickens? And for some of you in the room, you may be thinking like I thought at one time, I don't have any chickens. And if I do, they certainly do not squawk. If you know me at all, for those of you who are brand new, you, you, you don't know me at all. And for some of you who, who come here every week, you hear me talk, you're getting to know me over time. But the real me, and some of you, you're not going to be surprised by this, but I once believed that my entire life was governed by this guy right here my head. Very logical man. Very linear. A plus B plus C equals D. One plus two plus three equals one, two, three, four, five, six that made me look stupid um Uh, Very logical, very linear, okay? That's the type of person. And and, and I thought that my heart's only job is to pump blood up here so this guy stays alive, right? Because this is the manager of my whole life. And so I didn't realize that I had squawking chickens in my life that were things that happened even in my past, things that were happening happening currently, things that shaped me. Life had shaped my heart, and then my heart began to shape my life. Shaped the way I interacted with Amy, shaped the way I interacted with friends, shaped the way I saw my profession, shaped the way I saw you people. And that was all heart stuff. And until I sat in a therapy room and my licensed professional therapist, who I love very dearly, says, You can't even hear me right now. I said, I can't hear you right now. She said, Your ears can, but your heart can't. You know why? Because your chickens are squawking so unbelievably loudly. They're crazy. Your insecurity is just squawking like crazy. Your desire and drive for excellence and perfection is just squawking like crazy. Your desire for control is just squawking like crazy. She was just pulling these out of her ear. These aren't real examples, but they're real examples. So here's the thing. and I would tell you this with the same level of clarity and and force, but also equal parts grace, equal parts grace. That she told me. You may have a chicken problem that you know nothing about. You may have a heart problem that you know nothing about. You may have things that have shaped you in your life and you don't realize that they impact your behavior and that they impact others because you've ignored them, because you've learned to just deal with them, because you convince yourself that, you know what, I'm just an emotional girl. That's just kind of what happens. Or you know what, I grew up in a family where anger was kind of a normal thing, so raising my voice, you know, that's just kind of who I am. I'm just a passionate guy. It's just kind of how I am. That's kind of who I am. And the reality is, you've got a chicken problem. You've got squawking chickens in your heart that cause you to behave in that particular way. And and it's not just biblically, that we can see this, we'll see this here in a minute, but I want to show it to you even physiologically. Watch this, this is fascinating. What you see up here is a picture of, you know, the internal uh, human body and all this stuff that comes out of the brain, all this like spaghetti stuff is called the vagus nerve. It's thusly named because it kind of wanders around the body like a vagrant, it's called the vagus nerve. And your vagus nerve controls essentially your parasympathetic uh, nervous system. It controls your breathing, your respiratory system. It controls your heart rate. It controls your sweat. It controls all of that stuff. Your vagus nerve, it does a lot of different stuff, but that's one of the big things that it does. And interestingly enough, your vagus nerve has a memory. So, over time, when trauma is introduced into your life, when positive things are introduced into your life, your nervous system will respond for you even though your logic is not involved. And over time, those difficult things that have happened to you, if you don't process them and deal with them, again, shape who you are. That's how your vagus nerve works. That's how it's designed to work. How many of you, when you smell a certain thing, it immediately takes you back to a place in your past? Anybody like that? You smell a pipe, you smell the beach, you smell citrus, whatever. It's like, man, I'm just right there sitting in my parents' living room one more time. Or how many of you, someone says a particular word or holds your hand in a particular way or a particular time of year or whatever just brings you back to a memory and you're like, I can't even help it, but I just go back there. And it's not just you go back there in your memory, but you go back there in your body. Your heart rate increases and you begin to breathe faster and you're not sure why you're anxious. It's like, why am I anxious about something? It's, just something, it's like it's just a memory. Why am I responding this way? That's your vagus nerve because your vagus nerve. Vegas nerve stores up all those things over time. So here's essentially what I'm saying is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. (laughs) Now, some of you are thinking that's the dumbest joke that I've ever heard in my life, but I'm so proud of this, okay? That's number one. Number two, you will remember it. You will remember this. And, and let me just prove it to you that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yesterday, uh, we were downstairs, uh, my wife and and two children. Kaya is five and Kanan is 14 months old. And Kaya said, Daddy, uh, Kanan has a bug. And I looked over, and sure enough, Kanan had a little bug in his hand. And I thought, great, you know, that's, I hope he eats it because that's protein I don't have to pay for, right? So just put it down the hatch. And so he starts to chew on it and all that stuff. And he's got it in his hand and all that stuff. And I walked over to him. Finally, you know, I'm like, I probably should be a good dad, right? So I walked over to him. I bent down. I opened his little hand. And you know what he had? A live wasp. Okay, now let me ask you something. Did your brain just tell you to react like that? And, and do you think that Canaan's little heart rate went up, and his respiratory system went up, and when he realized he had a live wasp, he went, oh. No, because he has no trauma associated with wasps. He doesn't know things are going to sting him. And it's not that you said, Oh, there's a wasp with the stinger, and that might happen, and blah, 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 and now I'm going to respond this way. We just went, oh. That's a true story. That really happened yesterday. I was you know, kind of blowing smoke here. That really happened, but, but that's your vagus nerve controlling your parasympathetic system. And that's not just with wasps. That's with the time you got dumped when you were 15 and the rejection from medical school and the time that somebody said you're not good enough to play violin in the thing anymore and whatever. And your spouse told you that you're a bad cook or that you've put on weight or whatever. And you hold those things in you and for over time those chickens begin to squawk. They get bothered and poked, and it causes you to act out in anger. It causes you to shut down emotionally, and you don't even know it's happening because it's your parasympathetic system responding in that way. Watch this from Scripture. Scripture has known this for a long time. Jeremiah, was a prophet, wrote this. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So there's things that are happening inside of you, and we don't even understand Jesus has known this for a very long time. The Bible has known this for a very long time. So here's my hope. We've been talking about this for 20 minutes. Here's my hope. Two things. One is that part of you would would just at some level understand that maybe I've got some chickens that I don't know anything about yet. Maybe my anger that rears its ugly head. Or the fact that I get stressed and don't eat for several days. Or the fact that I drink too much. Or or the fact that I withhold sex from my spouse. Let's just get real. Or the fact that that I dress in such a way to keep people at arm's length. Or whatever it is. I don't know. Whatever it is. And some of you are thinking, how does he know that stuff? Is he a prophet? No. 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 But those are the chickens that begin to squawk in our lives and then we behave because our heart shapes our life that you would acknowledge that at some level, maybe I've got some chickens, number one. Number two, dealing with those chickens would be good for me. We quoted it from Forbes magazine. We quoted it from Jordan Peterson. We quoted it from a couple of uh, uh, spiritual authors, Christian authors, quoted it from the scripture. that As we deal with those heart things, it begin to, begins to change our mind and then change our behavior, make us more like Jesus. That's my hope. That's is what we've done so far. So here's what I want to do with our time remaining. I want to just give you two practical points of application. Two things that you can do today to begin to Deal with some of your squawking chickens. Now that we've acknowledged that we've got some chickens, maybe that we don't know anything about, and acknowledged that dealing with those squawking chickens may be good for me, here's the first thing that I want you to do, and if you're taking notes, jot this down. The first thing I want you to do is start to chase your chickens. Start to chase your chickens. Now, write it down, even though you don't know what it means yet. I'm going to tell you what it means here in a minute. You know, I'm not just going to go chase your chickens. And let's pray. You know, like chase your chickens. And for some of you, anybody in the room, when I say chase your chickens, like people of my age and a little bit older, the first image that comes to mind is this image right here. Yes, somebody's praise God, right? This is Rocky chasing a chicken because his trainer, Mick, was like, you gotta get better at your fitness, and so chase the chicken, Rock, chase the chicken, you know, and Sylvester Stallone's running around grabbing this thing, and he can, he barely can find the chicken, grab the chicken, he's chasing the chicken everywhere, and he can't grasp the chicken and capture the chicken, and eventually he captures the chicken, and it's a big deal when he captures the chicken. Can I tell you something? Is that chasing your own chickens and identifying them and holding them in your hand and going, this is it that drives me. Will be far more difficult than Sylvester Stallone chasing that chicken. I promise. It will be very, 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 very difficult. It will take a great deal of. Listen to this word: courage. It's not for the faint of heart. This is why the psalmist would write this prayer: "Search me, O God, and know my say that heart, not." Search me, O God, and modify my behavior. Search me, O God, and change the way I think. But search me, O God, and help me to understand my wounds, the things that shape me. What drives me to stay an extra three or four hours at work every night and neglect my kids? What drives me to make more and more and more money even though I've already got plenty? What is it that drives me to always be right? What drives me to withhold information from the people closest to me? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. It's gonna take some courage, isn't it? To chase your chickens. You've got some chickens in your life that squawk, I hate to tell you. Some things that rear their ugly heads. Some of them you may know. Some of them you've already grasped and you can identify. Some of them maybe never have. And so the first step in addressing these things in our life and moving towards total human flourishing and whole person health is chasing our chickens. The first step is making a commitment today to say, I'm not going to be a person that just passively accepts bad behavior or negative behavior, or deconstructive behavior in my own life. I'm going to be a person that ruthlessly chases my chicken so I can f- figure out what's happening at the core of me and bring it to God and let him heal. Friends, part of the reason I, I did this series, remember we talked about last week, we were going to talk about um, you know, uh, Not My Chicken, and we talked about other titles for the series, and one of the other titles was uh, all the stuff I learned in therapy remember that this moment right here for me when somebody told me you've got some squawking chickens they're squawking so loudly you can't your heart can't even hear what i'm saying so you need to make a decision to ruthlessly chase those chickens down and to determine what they are and figure them out it was a very very difficult moment and frankly some of you are already pursuing this some of you may not ever because You know, to be totally honest, you're a coward. You don't have the courage to do it. Or you're just way too prideful to do it, to admit it. But once God has brought you low, and you can step out and have the courage to say, okay, I don't have any place else to go but up. I want to see what's really going on inside of me. And that might be today for just a handful of you. Just a handful. To make that commitment, and that might require you getting into a room like I got into a room of therapy. might require that. But the commitment, the first step in addressing these things is to chase them down and to figure out what they really are. Did that sound like a chicken just now? That was wild. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. It's like somebody's baby, um, so maybe they'll never be back. Um, I'm really, I'm really sorry I said that. Um, keep your baby in here, whoever that was. Keep your baby in here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad your baby's here. It's great. It's fine. Um, and I don't mean that facetiously, sarcastically. I mean, please don't leave. Stay here. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is... This next step, once we've kind of chased our chickens down, what's the next thing that we need to do? And the way that I want to talk about it is to use uh, two parallel stories from the scripture that kind of mirror one another. One is about a man who is blind, and one is about a man who is paralytic. And Jesus has this interaction with both of these individuals, and he asks each of of the individuals really what amounts to the same question. So first he asks the blind man, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And so, you know, the blind man's response is what? Give me my sight back, right? You're Jesus. Help me to see. That makes sense. But he asked the paralytic man the very same question, the man who can't walk. He says, do you want to be healed? And in short, these questions are the same question. What do you want? Here I am. I'm Jesus. You heard you know, my reputation precedes me. He wouldn't say that in such an aloof and arrogant way. But they know who he is. They know what he can do. So he's just asking them a simple question. What do you want? So it's interesting because the man who is blind responds in the way that I would expect. What would you say? Well, Jesus let me recover my sight. So Jesus heals him, gives him his sight back. But the man who was uh, a paralytic who hadn't been able to walk for 30 years used to sit beside this pool in Jerusalem because there was this superstition that arose around this pool that any time you saw the waters kind of stir up, whoever got to the pool first would be cured or healed of whatever ailment that they were experiencing, whether it was blindness or deafness or leprosy or in this this case, uh, uh, being paralyzed from the waist down. And so uh, this man, when Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? Instead of saying, oh, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed, he says, look, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Can you see him already blaming other people? Isn't that interesting? Instead of taking responsibility, he says, oh, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. And, and, and the fact that he is paralyzed may not be his fault. It may be his fault. He may have made a very bad decision that led to paralysis. We don't know. It may be a congenital thing, may just been born with it. We don't know. It may be an accident that happened. It may be a chicken that somebody else dropped in his yard. It may be a chicken that his parents dropped in his yard. It may be a chicken that he created for himself by a bad decision. We don't know. And really, we don't care because, regardless, it's his chicken. It's not anybody else's responsibility to deal with this. It's his chicken. And rather than saying, Oh, yes, Jesus, heal me, he says, Well, I got no one. And, and another one steps down before me, and it's somebody else's fault. The interesting thing about Jesus is when he does physical miracles, you know, he's always teaching us a spiritual reality. So when he says, Lazarus, come forth. I know you've been in the grave three days. You've been dead three days, but come out. Lazarus comes out with grave clothes on. Jesus doesn't go like this. (laughs) Thank you. You know, like he doesn't do that. He says, here's what I want to teach you, that I am the resurrection and the life. Okay? When Jesus feeds a whole bunch of people with five loaves and two fish, he doesn't go, oh, wasn't that great? And I hope everybody had a great time. He says, man does not live by bread alone. Like, I want to teach you that I am the bread of life. He's teaching us spiritual realities. And the same thing goes here. He's teaching us a spiritual reality with these physical miracles. And in both cases, watch this, this is how gracious Jesus is. Gracious, gracious, gracious. He heals them both. He gives this man his sight back, and he makes this man walk. But in this case, he ends up scolding this man. You know why? He says, listen, change your attitude, or something worse is going to happen to you. And not something worse is, and you're going to lose your legs again, but something worse is, you're never going to be healed from that internal stuff. That ingratitude stuff, that blame game stuff, that I'm not responsible stuff, that's the something worse that might happen to you. And even though he heals them both, he's giving us a warning that we, once we have chased our chickens, take responsibility for our chickens and don't blame other people for our chickens. And we do this all the time in our life. I wouldn't act this way if you didn't treat me like this. I wouldn't be this way if my home of origin or my family of origin wasn't this way. You know what? I wouldn't have to be so mad if she would respond in this particular way. Or I wouldn't have to withhold sex from him if he would pursue me in the way that that I want to be pursued. I wouldn't have to do anything. I wouldn't have to behave this way. That's somebody else's chicken. And my response to you would be, in some cases, it's not your chicken. But today, guess whose chicken it is? It's your chicken. Yours and yours alone. So once you've chased your chicken, you got to name your chicken. You have to name your chicken. And I'm not talking about Betty, Sue, Bill, Bonnie and Clyde. Don't you think there'll be great names for chickens, by the way? If you farm chickens, I'll give you that as a freebie. Bonnie and Clyde, great names for chickens, I think. What I mean is to be able to identify what drives you. Perfectionism, insecurity, desire to perform, Whatever that is, you're able to name it. And this is not brand new information. This is information that's 2,000 years old. That's Jesus coming to the surface there and saying, don't blame other people. You own it yourself. But St. Augustine, actually, one of the church fathers, his name is not St. Augustine, by the way. St. Augustine is a city in Florida. St. Augustine wrote this, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. I want to be able to name my chickens so I can know you better. Uh, Mother Teresa, you might have heard uh, of Mother Teresa. She wrote this Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self knowledge. Can you believe that? Wow. See, God is revealing himself to us, but so often we hide ourselves from God and others. Do you remember talking about that last week? That original man and original woman, the minute they realized that they were naked, what did they do? They hid. They hid themselves from God, they hid themselves from others, they did not want to name their chickens. And Jesus comes along and says, you can call it what it is because I can heal it. And I can, I can bring redemption out of it. I want to give you one really quick uh, practical tool, very, very practical tool, to be able to name some of your chickens, and then I'm going to pray and we can, we can be done. The practical tool is called the wheel of emotions. It's up here on the screen. Some of you have maybe seen this before. Some of you have maybe never seen this before. <laughs> But on this wheel of emotions, you you can read it up here on the screen, uh, there is uh, all these different emotion words, right? Here in the middle, you got mad, scared, joyful, powerful, peaceful, sad. And then as we get uh, out towards the edge, it becomes a little more nuanced, you know, inadequate, bewildered, those kinds of things. Men typically get terrified at the wheel of emotions. You know why? Because we have two emotions and two only. Fine and mad. That's what we have as men. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm mad. And that's it. And that's it. But let me introduce you to the wheel of emotions because you might feel rejected or insignificant or valuable. Over here is sleepy. Ooh, men. Ooh, three. Three now emotions, right? I, I'm mad. I'm fine. Or I'm sleepy. Now I can feel three things thanks to the wheel of emotions. Let's zoom in just a little bit because I want you to see exactly what's going on here. I'm hostile, I'm hurt, I'm guilty, I'm ashamed, I'm confused, I'm discouraged, I'm skeptical. It's an an opportunity, a real practical way to name what it is you're feeling. So watch this, watch this. This is how it works out practically. There are times in my marriage, especially where Amy and I will be having a discussion and she and I disagree, primarily because she's wrong. And so... (laughs) And so what I tend to do is I begin to prove to her, all, using all of my reasoning, right, up here, all the reasons that she is wrong. And, 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 and every one of those arguments, I've always won and walked away feeling like a loser. Very weird. I'm not sure how she does that. I'm not sure. It's very strange. And, and there have been moments... And and it's more recently as I've grown and as I've been able to name my chickens, I start to go, why do I always feel like I'm right? I mean, I can't be right all the time, can I? Maybe I can. No, 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 no. I can't. I can't be right all the time. And even if I even if I was, see, even if I was, why do I always have to prove it? That seems weird, doesn't it? So I start to chase that chicken. And I start to look at stuff up here and I say, you know, Ames, sometimes I feel stupid or inferior or or I feel ashamed when I do something wrong or say something wrong. And so I always have to feel like I'm proved to you or to others that I'm right because I got to make up for these squawking chickens. Sorry, babe, my chicken's squawking. Will you help me? That's how it works its way out. And then I remind her that I really was right all along, but um, no, no. See, in the same way as you interact with your spouse, as you interact with your coworkers, as you perform at work, why is it that I've got to stay late all the time? Why is it that I can't show up on time? Why is it that I don't work hard? Why is it that I always get distracted? Why is it that all my dating relationships break down? Why can't I seem to develop intimate friendships? What are all those things? you got to start chasing your chickens and then naming your chickens. This is, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's going on in my heart. These are the chickens that are squawking, and they're going to affect your thoughts and your behavior. Out of the heart come all kinds of evil thoughts. So we got to address our heart. Successful men and women, mature men and women, are meticulous managers of chickens, and the first two steps are chasing them down and then naming them. I don't really have much of a conclusion uh, to my sermon today, or clever story, or analogy, or whatever. Um, here's really what I want to say to you: um, I'm on this journey myself. This is not easy for me. Quite honestly, it's not easy to preach and get up here and talk about all these hypothetical examples of conversations Amy and I have had, right? These are real conversations and real moments. Some of them are just exact quotes pulled from those conversations. I'm not good at this. My wife is very good at this. She's been learning about this for a very long time. I'm kind of new to this. So I'm getting pretty vulnerable with you, And helping you, to the best of my ability, grow in your spiritual and emotional. And next week, we're going to talk about physical stuff. Help you grow in all of those areas of your life. You know why? Because I love you very, very much. I've given a lot of years of my life to you. And I plan to give a lot more. Because I love you. And I want really good things for you. And Jesus loves you even more. Far more. Exponentially more. Eternally more. And he wants very, very good things for you. Also, this will save you all the money that I had to spend in therapy, right? If you start to begin to apply these things and work them through. So that's my encouragement to you. Be a meticulous manager of chickens. Just start by chasing them down and naming them. And then in a couple weeks, we'll talk about a couple more practical tools that we can have to address those things that go on in our hearts. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. God, thanks for uh, the men and women who have gathered here today. Thank you. For the heart posture in this place, I, um, I don't know if it's a fair assumption to make, but I think maybe to some extent it is that there are some that came in today really soft-hearted and desiring to know you in a deeper and more meaningful way, and there are some that came in here maybe even hard-hearted, skeptical, or cynical, but, he, but here's, here's the truth, we all came in here. No matter what the heart posture was, we all came in here with some level of expectation, some glimmer of hope that maybe you are real, that maybe you really love us, that maybe you really care about us. Maybe you can heal those deepest wounds in our life. And so I pray, God, a blessing over those who have demonstrated by their behavior a level of trust, a level of openness and vulnerability, by their heart posture, demonstrated their heart posture by just by coming today. God give us the courage to chase them. And give us the wisdom to name them. And above all, give us the faith to trust you to heal them. In Christ's name, God's people together said, Amen.